0: As long as I can tell myself I'm going to be okay with whatever the outcome is, and I can accept that before going in, then I can push through whatever fear. This is Life Transformation Radio. Prepare to engage.
1: Seatbelt activated. activated, 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 activated. Download. Initiated. Your quantum journey, a transformation, begins in three, two, 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 1. Welcome to Life Transformation Radio. Hi, I'm Rob Actis, best-selling author of the Law of Action, Voice Actor, Business Mindset Coach. The Podcast Whisperer, and Mr. Action himself. Here at Life Transformation Radio, we are committed to share more about real life, love, the power of positivity, romance, and of course, laughter. We care about helping others find their internal drive and purpose. We celebrate life's challenges and overcoming them. On the show, my guests are amazing people who are forces for good in the world around them, and they live a life of transformation. My guest today does just that. Today, Olivia Adkin takes us on a journey of personal growth and self-advocacy. As someone who has worn many different hats in various arenas, Olivia has gained multiple certifications and insights, allowing her to navigate different industries and understand the power of transferable skills, one pivotal encounter with an Uber driver struggling to find their direction after college sparks a conversation about pursuing passion and leveraging every experience to benefit one's career. Join us today as Olivia shares her own transformation, advocating for athletes after their sports career ends and shedding light on the prevalent but misunderstood condition of epilepsy. Olivia's journey teaches us the importance of defining success on our own terms and making choices with purpose, not driven by fear. Get ready to be inspired and empowered as we delve into the power of self-advocacy, personal growth, and the courage to stand tall with our decisions. Olivia, welcome to Life Transformation Radio.
0: Hello, thank you for having me.
1: I guess we're just going to unpeel that onion. I guess it will do. We'll unpeel the onion because you have a lot of layers. Just the brief conversation that we have, there's a lot of layers to Olivia Atkins. So we'll go all the way back to the Wayback Machine, and we will go to maybe, what, two, three years old when you're tossed in a pool and you start swimming?
0: Yeah, I mean, that was a great intro, and I love how you said the layers because it is very true. I think all of us have so many layers to our individual selves and then how we contribute to others but for me i was born in the south in the summer so a pool was kind of a way of life um and then when i was three i did start swimming and really learning how to swimming and it turned into training and competing co- competitively um until i was nine years old and I was diagnosed with epilepsy, and then due to that, I had to stop swimming. And at that time, I was on the track to compete in, you know, the Junior Olympics. I was swimming in an age group of 15, 18-year-olds. Um, and I was beating them. So <laughs> Wait a minute, at my- nine
1: years old, you're, you're swimming with 15-year-olds and you're beating them. Well, yeah. you have been swimming since you've been two or three. That's that's pretty remarkable. You know, most kid people just throw their kid in the pool and they just kind of dog paddle around and you're doing competitive swimming. So it's quite yeah. impressive.
0: You know, for me, I joined my first swim team at about four or five. Um, and it was just something I love. I, to this day, love bodies of water. But at my even where I am now, I'm only five foot tall. So imagine a, you know, I haven't grown that much since I was 10 years old, but um, you're competing against people where just, if anyone's watched swimming, you're diving into a pool and they already have half a body length in ahead of you just because of their size. Right. Um, and so people forget sometimes that it does give individuals an advantage when you look at height just because of ha- they don't have to work as hard to necessarily get the same pull however right. smaller individuals swim faster and you can end up beating the bigger people out so
1: well there you go so they start out it's like the tortoise and the hare they just whew, and then here you are here comes olivia just kind of here you go there you go five feet of dynamite I got it. I got it. So nine years old, you got diagnosed with epilepsy. I'm mm-hmm. hope. I hope to God that it didn't happen while you were swimming. That you didn't
0: have a seizure while you were swimming. No, I had had a allergic reaction to parmesan cheese, which had triggered a seizure. I have had. Now a- that's
1: amazing. Okay, we got to. St- I've never heard of that. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: parmesan cheese. So can you just be triggered for epilepsy from like drinking a can of Coke or or, really?
0: You, you can ha- get, have a seizure at any point in anyone's life. Epilepsy is actually the largest, I, I'm blanking on how to phrase this, so just give me a second here, but it is the most common neurological d- disease that is out there in the world. Wow. The issue is a lot of individuals don't have what, you know, Hollywood has projectified of what a seizure is, which is the grand mal seizure, which right. is, you know, the falling, the foaming at the mouth, the shaking, all of that. You I've can seen ha-
1: that many times. I've seen that many times. It's very, very traumatic, no matter how many times you see it. I've seen it from my daughter, unfortunately, and I've seen it from other people. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how it's the most common neurological thing. And people have seizures all the time. And I've witnessed people having seizures in public. No one knows what to do.
0: Mm-hmm. The one thing that
1: they do, which is crazy, is they try to stick their fingers in their mouth. And I will tell you, if you do that, you will lose your fingers. It's very common because your mouth is so strong. And when you're having a seizure, if you put your fingers in someone's mouth, who's having a seizure to protect them, you will lose your fingers like hands down.
0: You'll lose your fingers. And the other part of that is they can swallow their own tongue. Absolutely. By, do, by doing that, you're, you think you're helping. You're not but in reality. You're not at all. And I think you hit, the nail on the head there in saying a lot of people don't realize it is the most common neurological disease in the world, but it is one of the diseases that I have learned over time and doing research and working with the Epilepsy Foundation a long time ago when I was 13 years old, that even to this day, right, we're talking, I was diagnosed at, um, Nine at nine, and I depending on when this airs, I'll be 29. So, um, almost 20 years ago, the information that was provided to schools at the time was non existent, the information provided to most doctors was not is non existent, it is not something that gets talked about a lot, and there's a even to this day, 20 years later. From my own experience, it is the thing that there's so many myths out there. Right. And uh, and what we learn is what gets socialized. What gets right. socialized is that grand mal seizure, uh, the misinformation. And to me, it's mind boggling that the most common neurological disease out there, and there's so many forms of it, is the thing that we're talking about probably the least.
1: Right. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, what I know to do and what I've done is you put the person on their side, you make sure there's nothing that's going to harm them in that way. And you don't stop them from having their seizure. You have to let them go through it. It's unfortunate. Yeah. You have to let them do that. Um, what you want to do is protect their head. You want to put something under their head and make sure that nothing's around them to hit. And when people are having a grand moral seizure, um, it can be very violent and you can get hit. It's very, very obvious. Um it's very traumatic. I don't wish it upon anybody. Um, but I will say that if you do see it, that's what you should do. Um, yeah. it's, it's not something to be afraid of. It's actually you're going to save them because they can really, really get hurt.
0: Well, and that's the thing, too, is, you know, I've talked to individuals in different settings where I'm debunking the myths of what you should be doing and what a seizure can look like. But I always say, if I was out in public and I noticed, because I also very much know what every stage of a seizure, whether that's the ground mal, like you were right. just talking about, or just a staring event, right, which can be a seizure. Not, you know, a lot of individuals joke, oh, they're staring off into space.
1: Well, not having a seizure.
0: They're ha- they're most likely having a seizure. Not every person every time they stare off into space will be having a seizure, but a seizure can very much look like that. So uh, what I tell people, especially because I know what to look for in each one of those is the second I see that happening, I am starting a countdown, whether it's in my head or touching the phone of like a one Mississippi, two Mississippi, because if it gets to a point where an ambulance needs to be called or even once they're done, they need to know how long that seizure was right. because that over time affects your brain activity. So even if someone had a small one, it might be the first time they're having one. You need to be able to go, "Okay, that lasted 20 seconds." Because right. there's a big difference between 3 seconds, 20 seconds, a minute, 2 minutes, in- 5 minutes
1: and 20 minutes, and I've seen all of them. It's it's amazing. And it it's it takes so much out of the person that's having it, especially when they have a grand mal seizure. Um they're done for a day or two. Like they're mm-hmm. just done. And yeah. um Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know there was the most common uh neurological disease out there. It's it's pretty remarkable. And the one thing about epilepsy is that it can happen at any time.
0: Yep. It, it epilepsy does not discriminate. It can right. happen in a newborn baby, it can happen in a 5-year-old, it can happen at 20. It you can never have a seizure, and then when you're 40 years old, something happens and you have it. it can you could can have Parmesan
1: cheese. You could just say, "You know what? I'm going to have Parmesan cheese on my cedar salad," and that's what's going to happen.
0: It can. That's amazing. Yeah. It can also happen, you know, a lot of different side effects of different medications. Say, right. because right, you can take a medication and just have a reaction, and then that triggers it. You never know, and that's the thing epilepsy is one of those diseases it you know it's not something that can be caught and diagnosed very early on and be like okay this is what you have um right. we're going to work through it. and it is something that you know as someone who does not have seizures anymore um I still go to a doctor once a year for a checkup you're still you know they never say you're cured of epilepsy they right. say you don't have seizures the reason for that is because you never know if something can happen that can trigger something if it's under control it's under control and again i don't have seizures um i go to my doctor i don't but she won't take me off my medication because we know right, right now that i've been seizure free for about 15 years so That's why good why play with that? Right. right why, right. why chance it? My medication is so low for myself that it isn't, it really doesn't do anything, but we can guarantee it does. I'm not having a seizure on it. So why right. change when you get off any medication too, and people who have any medical issues in their life understand that, that whether you're getting on a medication or getting off, your body is changing when that happens. Right. So sometimes it's safer to stay on something than get off something.
1: Well, so you have gone through and you've, I love that you're not having seizures anymore. So that was when you're nine years old. And so what progressed? So you're nine years old. You had to deal with seizures and epilepsy while you were a kid. That must've been very traumatic. Uh, how long did they last?
0: So for me, you know, my parents mainly timed them, and they're both, my dad's a doctor, so they're used to, my mom's a therapist, they're used to those kinds of situations. Right. Um, they would last a few minutes. As time progressed and my seizures changed, they can last seconds. Um, it really just, you know, I went from having grand mal seizures when I was diagnosed to having a seizures where they're just staring events to not having anything i've been in situations where some again even professionals don't know what to look for so i might get a shot or get blood work and go vaso vaso which is when you pass out and some physicians will be like oh she had a seizure and my dad will be like that wasn't a seizure um she literally passed out um, they're two different things and right. they are caused by two different scenarios. So some people will say different things on who you ask, you've been in rooms on things, but they can last a very short period of time. Um, and if you don't know what you're looking for and someone has a staring event, you will never know because some of them can be so quick and so right. minuscule. And you and I have talked about too. One of, I think, the superpowers I have gotten from having epilepsy is the ability to understand my own body.
1: Absolutely. Very the, common. Yeah.
0: The power of knowing how I'm feeling. Uh, you know, we talked about I was a swimmer when diagnosed. I then in my high school years was a diver and set a state record. And you know, people. Okay, wait a minute. So
1: you're a diver now. Was your epilepsy under control by then?
0: Mm-hmm. I was not having okay. seizures at that time. I can time. just
1: imagine. How high did you dive?
0: The How three high? meter board. So that's the okay. very tall board that you see. Yes. Comp- yes.
1: Wow. I comp- yeah.
0: I competed off the one meter and the three meter. I hold. I hold the state record in the three-meter board.
1: Applause, applause. That's great. All right, so you overcame epilepsy. You got into high school. Then you went off into college. So you're making all these transformations. Changes are happening in your life. Um, you've now decided that what's your future going to be? Like, because you're an athlete, and now you're what, – what made you not be the athlete? What, what came up in your life that I'm not going to be an athlete anymore?
0: Well, I, it was really the swimming. So swimming has always been my passion. I'll still, now I do swim laps, but it's not obviously the same pace or anything like that. Um right. When people see me, you know, when I was competing, I could go a lap without breathing. Um, now people get hesitant when they see me doing that, even though I can still do it. They're like, you please don't. You're giving us worries. But I think that moment in time was also so pivotal for me because obviously epilepsy ended my swimming career. Right. Um I could not swim anymore, even though I tried for a little bit. Um, I had my parents advocating for me, the swim coaches advocating we put they had someone walking the pool alongside me as I competed, but it right. shortly became this is no longer fun because it's like holding a leash. Someone has to walk at right. your pace. You're at the end of the pool. It took the funness out of it. I also learned the power of using your voice in that moment and really not taking advantage of any situation you're put in um oh, now
1: you you were in how old were you in high school when you did that
0: no i was I was nine years old you know when I was diagnosed, they said to me and my parents about a few months in that it, i would i had gotten an aid in my school you know they weren't controlled right. they were happening a lot. Right. They said to my parents, the doctor I originally had, that we'd be lucky in a year if I could still be in a normal classroom. And right. I remember they always say that. Yeah. And I remember being nine years old, you know, having that athletic mentality of you got to train, you got to put your all into it, all these things. And going through this time of your kid, you don't understand what's going on. Your ne- your friends don't understand what's going on. Most adults didn't know what was going on at the time, so right. you're outcasted. And I was like, "You, we got to put the all into it." You know, I can't let this define me. And I really started to understand at that time too that it was something that just because on the outside most of the time I look perfectly normal. There doesn't look like there's any issues, you know, the aspects of how I'm going to attain information, how long it takes me to learn something. Like you don't see those things, um, but they were all happening. So I very much learned early on that I was going to be my advocate. If I wanted something, I had to dive in and get it. And then I did take a time off from sports altogether in high school. When I started high school, I started managing it. Um, different men's sports teams. And that was because my gym teacher from elementary school moved up to our high school and he became the wrestling manager at, or wrestling coach. And he said to me, going into my freshman year, I'm now going to be the gym teacher at East, my high school. Um, and it was going to be okay. You know, there's a lot of nervousness that goes into high school. Some kids knew of my past. Others didn't. What might happen in this new environment? All those things. And he was like, why don't you manage a team? Why don't you manage sports? You love sports. And I was like, okay. Um, and at that time, it kind of refocused me, allowed me to get into sports again, really enjoy it from a different perspective. And I found a passion for managing athletes and I went back to coaching. So I started coaching swimming and then I started learning more about diving and I started diving and then I became a coach. And I really found my own voice and direction through that. But I think our own experiences give us the power. You know, without those experiences, you aren't who you are. So it's looking at it from a glass half. You know, full perspective instead of a glass half empty. Right.
1: right. Okay. So you, so you, you overcame that nine years old, got into high school. And then from high school, where was the, what, where did you go from there? Because you now have the Achieving Success podcast, business, entrepreneur. Where was that transition? Where was that transformation from?
0: So that transformation was really from the aspect of everything i have been doing you know, in different arenas was the aspect of, oh, why are you at this table? And it was me having to advocate for myself, right? I belong here. I worked hard to get here. And even through college, I was go- always going above and beyond. You know, I was putting in the extra study time. If an opportunity came up, for extra credit or an assignment or a club organization, I was always diving in and being like, okay, sign me up. Because I understood that you never know what the roadblock tomorrow is going to be right. and set yourself up with the opportunities that you have in front of you today. So that if it brings you to a new one, you have that option. Right. And so when I was in college, I was also managing two D1 hockey programs. And I saw a lot of athletes starting to struggle with transition, starting to, you know, they focused so much growing up on their sport. And then when it was taken away from them, whether it was due to injury or graduating, they didn't know how to transfer those skills. So I very much became the advocate of, okay, you got to put in your study time. You have to be also thinking about what are you going to be doing after sports. And then I worked, I went into working. And when did you
1: do that? You did that in high school or in college?
0: Both. I started that in high that's school.
1: Amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing that you came up with that mindset of like that transition. That's a big deal. You yeah. know, I have friends that are student athletes and when they do graduate, their whole persona, their whole being, their whole identity is that. And then what happens is they don't know who they are. because mm-hmm. it would be like, Hey, I'm Rob Actis. I'm a student athlete. I'm a superstar baseball player. And now you're graduated. Now you're like nothing. Right. And it's very difficult. It,
0: it can be very difficult. And again, I worked with, I saw it on every level. Right. So I was right. the athlete who was stripped of their sport without choice. I then went into a sport in diving where I was the athlete who hit a very high level and then left with grace and decided to leave my that sport. I then was also at the time managing athletes who I saw injuries regularly that put them out first season or they graduated and wanted to go to college, you know, and play their sport, but couldn't. I then went to college and saw the athletes again who were either graduating, going pro, whatever it might be. But and then I went to the pro level. I worked in professional sports for a team for six years. I still manage some athletes to this day. And I saw this. Look at you! How happened.
1: casual you said. Yeah, I still manage some professional yeah. athletes to this day. Twenty-nine years old. Yeah, just saying.
0: Just <laughs> saying. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. But I, I've seen it over and over again. And what achieving success years ago, before it was even achieving success, was I was having those conversations of look at what you're doing now, the positives. And as someone was leaving, what are the skills you can take away from that? You know, I was asked many times. I've a certification in every business area, I have multiple degrees in different business areas. And I would have a lot of my friends go, why did you get that certification? You're not going into that field. It was to learn. And okay, then- I'm
1: curious. Okay, I want to hear these certifications. Like, what are you certified in? I want so, to know. So I I'm have- certified in basket weaving, underwater <laughs> basket weaving. That's my major certification. That's my claim so, to fame.
0: So I have my certification in HR management. Okay. I have my certification in project management. I have two certifications within supply chain management. I have three coding certificates or three um coding badges as they call them. I have a computer science um certificate. I have I'm trying to think if there's any others at the moment. Um and then I have my degree in supply chain management. My master's is, is an MBA with this concentration in supply chain management. My undergrad's business management, dual minor sports studies and law. So, yeah, like I said, um, I've worked in accounting and finance. So I've done pretty much all. And, of it. And,
1: and if you're if you're just like missed this during the beginning of the podcast, Thanks. she's 29 years old. Like, yeah, just saying.
0: And I think that's the thing, you know, when I have c- continued to grow and enter different areas, I've worn different hats at the same time, but it was all to learn. And then I've gotten to the point now where with my own business, I wear many different hats, but having all those certifications and taking them when I did, when I opened my right. own business. I was able to have many different conversations and understand what was happening. I'm able to talk to individuals from a lot of different industries and coach them or consult on things because I really do understand what that industry is like, because I've took the time. I learn. I have to stay up to date with the data to keep my certifications. So right. I very much understand it, but I say, you know, I very recently had a conversation with someone who played college sports and was my Uber driver. And he was just saying how, you know, he graduated and really couldn't find his direction. He took classes in college and was an accountant, but then graduated and was like, this isn't really what I want to do. Well, I just did it because I need to take classes. So he was on this journey of figuring out what he wanted to do, but his passion was always the sport and I said to him well why aren't you coaching why aren't you doing something if that's your passion and he said to me in the car it's because of fear you know I, I'm doing this uber and I'm doing an internship right now because I'm comfortable with it right and I still you know and I don't know how to transfer those skills and I go okay let's look at it right so from an athlete, you have to be very good with time management. Well, that's a skill set. Yeah. Being, you know, you have to be able to handle those high pressure situations, right? When a game is a few points or, you know, goals away, you have to be able to handle and lead by example and not let the pressure hit you. So that's it. That's a skill as well. You know how you work in teams. There's a whole side of any organization that wants to, you know, you need to be able to work with other individuals. So it's not always the concrete skills. And some organizations, the software they use is different from organization to organization. So they don't always expect you to know a software system, but those soft skills, they can't actually always ingrain in someone. And so you have to look at it from... Every experience teaches you something. Now, how can you leverage that?
1: I love it. Okay, so how did you break through your fear and do all of this? Like, when did you start your podcast? When did you start your coaching? What were you doing before that that you're just like, this is what I'm going to do? Because it's so, a great transformation. I mean, I think that's beautiful. I mean, you overcame some really difficult situations and you just kept driving. So what is it that makes you do and be in action. I mean, that, you know, I wrote the book, The Law of Action, and that's the biggest thing is people are stuck. They decide to do something, they plan to do something, and they just keep planning, and they never get into action because of fear. Fear of looking, looking bad in front of their family. Uh, fear of, I can't do this. Fear of imposter syndrome. I mean, you could go on and on and on and on and on. So what made you be able to do that?
0: I think it, is the aspect i continually think of why not right what is the worst that can happen it's not going to work out well okay right. um will i learn something from it good bad or indifferent yes am i going to be able to live with the outcome the answer is yes and i'm good you know i've always looked at it in that way, whether it was deciding what college to go to. I ended up going to Quinnipiac University, which is my love. I toured the campus the first time. And I was like, I looked at my parents, and I was like, this is where I'm going. i had already been offered to go to Johnson and Wales, and I would have been able to start before I even graduated high school. Then I, and I originally was like, I'm going to go and be a chef. And my parents were like, you don't even like cooking. Why are you going to be a chef? Like, what are you thinking? Um, and I ended up not doing that. And then when I was looking at other schools, it came down to LaSalle, which is a great university. And they've given me plenty of money or Quinnipiac. And I said, I'm getting into Quinnipiac. And my parents said, well, what happens if you don't? I said, I'm going, I'm getting in. When I've hit other situations, I, whether it's personally or professionally, people always ask me, well, how can you make that decision? You don't know the outcome, right? It's talking about the fear. My right. answer is always as long as I can tell myself I'm going to be okay with whatever the outcome is, and I can accept that before going in, then I can push through whatever fear. Now, Granted, fear has taken a hold of me before. Of um, course. And it takes a hold of everyone, but it's what you do with it in the moment, right? And I have a great support system, and it is having that support system to go, okay, you know, you're being a little short with people, but it's all the pressure, the anxiety you feel, all those things. But I always then try to remind myself, why am I doing this? Is it to better myself? Or am I doing something or making a decision just because in the moment it's the easy choice? And when yeah. I get to do that, and I also try to remind myself in those really pressure moments, is if I was Olivia and Rob was going through this right now, would I think Rob was acting rationally or out of fear? And what would my response be to Rob on how to handle that? What advice would I give? And then I would say it to myself and then I'd be like, OK, no, it's the fear talking. Let's keep going, no matter how hard it is. But I think the other aspect of it, and I say this a lot with my company, whether it's the podcast or coaching or speaking, is you know, it's how you act and build your character when people aren't looking. That's just as important as what people are looking. And achieving success, and a lot of what I talk about in my podcast, is these stories of what success really looks like to different individuals from all walks of life, right? We get so caught up, like you said, of looking at what other people are going to think, how other people are going to perceive the moment, we tend to forget that just because it's been done that way a thousand times doesn't mean your path is wrong.
1: Right. Yeah, the thing about overcoming your fear is that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So a lot of people will do this for a job. They're like, what did you turn in your resume? No, I'm not going to get it. I'm afraid I'm not going to get it. Well, you're afraid you're not going to get it, so you've just guaranteed the end result if you're not going to get it. Because with it, action, there's a consequence. With inaction, there's a consequence. So the action is you submit your resume, you get the job, you don't get the job. With inaction, you just don't get the job. Correct. And you've guaranteed that. hmm you know, you have a 50, 50 shot at getting the job and, and people won't put themselves out there because they're so afraid of the end result because they put so much on it, but then they guarantee their success of failure.
0: And I think that's a very important thing. And one question I always ask people, um, when they come to me is what is your passion, but what is the impact you want to make as well? Right? So how to, Really dive into okay, in those moments of fear, and you know, do you either go right or go left? Are you doing that out of again fear and deciding before you even start that you're finishing, right? Or are you going through something with impact, with purpose that you can go, Okay, yes, I'm doing it, I could stand tall with my decisions. At the end of the day, as long as you could stand tall with your decisions, no one else's um, voice really matters. And I think that's what you have to remember, too, within yourself is, can I stand tall with this decision, right? Every decision, like you said, has a impact, whether it is a lack of a choice, which is a choice, or the choice. And, you know, in some situations, that's, do you stand up and use your voice, or do you walk away? And you have to be able to live with that decision. I always say, you know, I'm a big fan and I currently have one next to me of Coca-Cola. I drink mm-hmm. Coca-Cola all the time. I do not drink coffee, so let me say that. I do get my caffeine just through Coca-Cola. It's either that or water 99% of the time. And people will say to me, why do you, why do you drink so much soda? And I'm like, well, first of all, you probably drink like four cups of coffee. And then soda, right. so it's not that bad. Right. But I also, you know, I love candy. I love different foods. And I say, because when I am on my deathbed, I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, I shouldn't have had that one bottle, one can of Coca-Cola. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten that one gummy bear, you know, or Mike and Ike, or whatever it might be. So I would rather, you know, whenever... I guess, too, it's from the aspect of I've already kind of faced a life-altering moment. Um, and so I know what that can very much feel like. And I don't ever want to look back and be like, oh, I wish I would have done this. Or what would have been that outcome? If I can look yeah. back and be like, and I think about that as I'm making choices sometimes in three years from now, six months, a year, three years, five years, 10 years, whatever it might be, am I ever going to look back on this decision and say, I wonder what if, what would have come? And if I can answer that question with no, I'm not, then I'm on the right path. If I'm going to answer that question with, yeah, I am, then I need to get on a new direction.
1: I love it. I love it. Olivia, man. You are definitely a lot of layers of onion. There's a lot to you. <laughs> thank you so much for being here today. I really, really appreciate it. That was really fun.
0: Thank you for having me. We got to do this again and, soon.
1: We got to do it again soon. Well, and thank you everybody for being here today and for your support and taking the time out of your busy and precious day to listen to Life Transformation Radio. I so appreciate it. Thank you for allowing me along my very special guests to touch your heart move your soul, and inspire you to live a life of transformation. I'm Rob Actis. Until next time.
0: This is Life Transformation Radio. Download complete.